The great writer Thomas Wolfe put it this way in his 1935 novel of Time and the River. A man's youth is a wonderful thing. It is so full of anguish and of magic, and he never comes to know it as it is until it is gone from him forever. It is the thing he cannot bear to lose. It is the thing whose passing he watches with infinite sorrow and regret. It is the thing whose loss he must lament forever, and it is the thing whose loss he really welcomes with a sad and secret joy. The thing he would never willingly relive again could it be restored to him by any magic. Why is this? The reason is that the strange and bitter miracle of life is nowhere else so evident as in our youth. A young man is so strong, so mad, so certain, and so lost. He has everything and is able to use nothing. And when youth is gone, every man will look back upon that period of his life with infinite sorrow and regret. It is the bitter sorrow and regret of a man who knows that once he had a great talent and wasted it, of a man who knows that once he had a great treasure and got nothing from it, of a man who knows that he had strength enough for everything and never used it. Okay, maybe that resonates with me because I'm in my 50s and my youth is long gone. But that doesn't mean that there isn't truth to Wolf's words and that we never appreciate whatever is before us until it's gone, right? The thing is, I still feel young. I mean, my body might tell me on a very regular basis that I'm on the backside of 50, but in my head, I'm still 25 years old. And sometimes, much to my wife Amy's consternation, I still do some of the stupid stuff I used to do when I was in my 20s. And maybe that's part of the frustration a lot of folks have towards the millennials. Maybe it's just that, that they think the millennials don't understand what they've been gifted, the treasure of youth. And maybe it seems like they're wasting it all self-focus, lost in social media, living in their parents' basements. But seriously, that's not true for all the millennials now, is it? And a lot of them blanch at the very inference, feeling the need to defend themselves or prove themselves that they're not that stereotype. That would be Christian Cambier's story. Christian is a new hire in student ministries here at Flatirons, having just survived his internship. Young Christian joins us to share his story, his brokenness, and his desire to break the stereotype of the millennials. This is Flatirons Men's Community Pastor Dan Foote, and we continue our series, Millennial Man, with Christian Cambier on Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men. So as we look at this whole millennial man mm-hmm. topic, I think that you're the youngest person we've had in here. Nice. How old are you? 23 as of August. Yeah. So not even, haven't been, been a month, but yeah, 23. 
23. Yeah. As of August? Yeah. August when was 14th. Your birthday? August 14th. Well, happy belated birthday. Happy birthday, Thanks, my friends. Guys. Big yeah. two three. That's right, man. Uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. That's what my brother said. That oh, birthday's a slam dunk. Yeah. <laughs> hey, J-Lo. Oh, yes. I love yeah. a good pun. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So what, how does 23 feel? Uh, I mean, not that much different from 22. Uh, I don't think it's really, you know, set in. Birthdays kind of lose their pizzazz after a while. So it's just like, oh. You're at the point where they don't have any pizzazz? Yeah. I mean, I remember I was uh, the day before my birthday, and I was seeing my parents, and they were like, hey, so we got you something. And I was like, for what? Your birthday. It's tomorrow. And I was like, oh, right. So I don't know. It just makes me feel like I'm approaching, I guess. Um, don't don't say middle age. I'll punch not you. Not middle <laughs> I'll age. I'll punch you in the no. throat if you. Just just kind of I don't know uh, that just just when you get into that middle uh, your mid twenties you know that's where yeah. life really kind of sets in. But personally, I don't feel any different. When you hear someone call you a millennial, what is your immediate reaction? Just share what when 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 I say, Christian, you're a millennial. Um. I don't know. This is such a millennial response, but I don't like it. Okay. Um, Why? Well, I, I feel like millennials uh, in general kind of get a stereotype. We're all just looking for comfort and for acceptance. And um, I don't know. I feel like it has a really bad connotation, I guess, in, in, in older generations um, when a lot of people look and say, oh, you're just acting like a millennial. You know, I know it is, it is so millennial of me to say, like, don't label me that way. But right. I really don't because I personally – um, identify with obviously being a millennial, but not a lot of the stereotypes that come with millennials. You don't so. live in your parents' basement. No. Where do you live? Uh, currently, I'm actually living in a house in Old Town, Arvada. It's actually my grandma's house. Oh, there she... we go. So it's not your parents' <laughs> basement. <laughs> yeah, you're in right. your grandma's yeah. house. Yeah, that's right. She, uh, she had some I'm stuff sorry happening. I set you up for that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine, man. It's fine. I, I, I've actually been wrestling with how do I like present this, you know? Because obviously being single, I'm like, oh, if I meet someone, sure. like, where do you live? My grandma's house. But <laughs> she, uh, yeah, she has a house there and uh, she had some medical complications and is moving into a, an assisted living facility and so had an open house. And so I'm going to live there and pay some rent for it. But pretty sweet gig, but it is grandma's house. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah, you want to awesome. come and sit on the plastic furniture? Oh, and- yeah. She's got the knickknacks and, you know, the Bible verses. The humble figures. And, oh, and- yeah. Oh, yeah. Little baby pictures of me up there. But oh, we're, yeah. we'll do we'll do some redecorating sure. pretty soon. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's good. So it does – you have an immediate kind of an aversion to it when someone calls you a millennial. Yeah. Because you feel like you're being judged. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, just that stereotype of – Oh, okay, well, he obviously must not have a work ethic. You know, I like to think none of those things are true about myself, but I feel like just being a millennial, you know, you carry that connotation of like, oh, here comes, you know, that young whippersnapper that. So what do you feel like you have to do? Do you, do you, do you feel like you got to do something to overcome that? You know, I, I feel like really, I, I would say when, when people, I guess, do stereotype me in that way or when, when I feel like people look at me as a millennial in that sense, I do feel like I have to prove them wrong. You yeah. know, you feel like you have to show them, okay, well, I am willing to get my hands dirty. Um, I am willing to work hard. Um, and you do. You feel like you kind of have to really go against the grain and kind of go out of your way. So let's dig into this a little bit because you were not – you didn't have like – I'm going to say a, a normal upbringing by – Colorado standards. Oh, yeah. You grew up, you went to a Christian school. Yeah, I went to a private Christian school here in Colorado. uh, K through 12? Oh, yeah. In preschool, I was in one private Christian school, and I hated it, and I liked the other one better. It was still private Christian school, but yeah, I mean, ever since I can remember, I was in Sunday school, church, private Christian school my entire life. Yeah. So that is going to change. That alone is going to 
Oh, yeah. I'm going to say change or because uh, a lot of times what happens is kids go through that whole Christian mm-hmm. indoctrination, yeah. kind of established, you know, Christianity. Absolutely. I'm putting yeah. quotes on that. And then they reach the point where they can make their own decisions and oh, like bats yeah. out of hell, they go do. Oh, yeah. Did you have that experience? Myself personally, um, I definitely felt like, I'd say when high school hit um, was when I really started to understand, okay, there are so many other things going on in the world that they are trying to shelter us from, and it's impossible to do so. Then you went to college where? So I went to uh, Metropolitan State University of Denver uh, for two years. Um, Right around my sophomore year is really where, um, I'd been a Christian my whole life, but is really where I would say... Um, I, I, I encountered Jesus in, in a way that I've never encountered him before through flat irons. Um, so explain that. So growing up, I mean, I don't have a conscious memory of not being a Christian. I don't have a conscious memory of there was a time where I was like, oh my gosh, I am, you know, doing the altar call or making this decision or I heard from God. Um, every memory that I have is like, hey, I've always been on board with it. You know, my parents always taught it to me, obviously being in private Christian school, Sunday school, all that. It just was like, oh, this is what truth is. This is ultimate truth. This is what it means. It makes sense. And I've, I've always bought into it. Um, and, and going throughout my life, you know, in times where I'd say around middle school, um, I really did have a solid foundation uh, in my faith. Um, I always, you know, I, I made decisions like, hey, I, I never want to sleep around. I never want to drink. I never want to do drugs. And I, I really do want to honor you, God. And like I talked about with high school, when all of a sudden, you know, I was growing up and I was understanding, okay, this is the real world. And these are the choices that people are making. And um, here's what my private Christian school is portraying Jesus as and God and Christianity. And I was like, that looks awful. Um, it doesn't look like anything I want to be a part of. So I want to go kind of experiment with what whatever else is going on while, while kind of still holding on to those, those foundations. Um, I'm not going to deny Jesus, but I kind of want to go stick my foot in the other pool and see what's going on. Just your foot? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I ever really <laughs> had this full-blown, like, hey, I'm going crazy rage party. Like, I really did flirt with the line. You know, I, I'd go out with... My friends are, and you know, my friends would go to parties, and I would always be the guy that didn't drink. You were the designated. I was driver. always the DD. I really did toy, just just kind of toyed with that line between like, man, I want to be this good Christian kid, but it's that quintessential. You got your the angel on one shoulder yeah, exactly. and the devil on the other. Exactly. <laughs> but I don't really. I think the devil was pretty clear. The I had a very skewed version of <laughs> the angel and what the angel was saying. Um, which is why Flatterns has been so influential in my life is growing up, obviously, you know, every day at school, I was studying the Bible for an hour or two, knew a lot of Bible verses, knew a lot of Bible stories. Um, again, was on board with the, Hey, Jesus, you died on a cross, rose again three days later to get me out of hell and to pay for my sins. So I get to heaven. I'm on board with that. I'll treat people really kindly. Um, I'll be respectful, but other than that, kind of butt out of my life and I'll go to you when I need you. And when I saw... I guess, church people and, and, and the Christians that I was around in that environment, they were just a bunch of really uptight, conservative, and honestly mean people. Yeah. And I always looked at that and I said, man, God, I know you're different than that, but if that's what it means to, to be a part of your church, then, hey, I'll go to church, but I don't really want to sell out to this whole thing because I don't want to be like those people. So what happened your sophomore year at Metro State? So I was dating a girl. Um we, she was my high school sweetheart. I was dating her up through my sophomore year, but was really just trying to figure out who I was, man. When I didn't have sports, um, that was that thing in high school, and I think a big par- portion of my life that made me feel strong and powerful, but also made me feel larger than life. So when I didn't have that, and now I was just another student, 
Right. Um, for me, it was kind of just like, I don't, I don't know who I am. So my freshman year, I kind of just, just kind of zombied through my entire year, I, but I still don't know who I am. I don't feel any passion for my life and kind of going through the same, going through the motions my sophomore year. And like I said, at the time I was dating a girl. Um, and as much as I could understand at the time, I was, you know, head over heels in love with her. Yeah. Um, and as much as I could understand like, Hey, this is somebody that I want to marry. This is someone I want to spend the rest of my life with when sports and maybe these other things aren't there. She was there giving me masculine edification. Um, she made me feel larger than life, good about myself. And so I was there and I was like, okay, like I, I'll do whatever she wants for my life. And she ended up transferring, uh, graduating high school. She was a year younger than me. Um, she ended up going out to a school in, uh, Virginia. Um, and so I was like, okay, we're going to do distance thing. This is great. I'll get to work more, see friends more. Um, and we'll pull this off, right? We've been dating for, you know, close to two and a half, three years and we'll be fine. I think two weeks getting out there, I could notice something was up. She <laughs> called me and was like, Hey, I can't do this anymore. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Right. I, I remember just this, this feeling of like, you know, what the hell just happened? Um, here was this awesome life plan that I had for myself. And it's all, it's all falling just apart. Shatters. Yeah, just shattered. And I was like, what do I do? And so for about two weeks, I kind of just sat in my apartment, um, just really depressed, um, quit going to school, quit going to my job. Um, and just, just in a state of like, what happened? Like, what do I do? Who, who am I? Like I, just so much pain. Uh, and there's one day I'll never forget it where I remember this, just feeling of like hopelessness and despair came over me. Um, but it also like coincided with just, I felt like really physically sick um, and I was kind of just sitting on the floor of my apartment and I remember just not even vocally, but really in my heart, just kind of saying, Hey God, I need you. I really need you because of everything I know about you. Um, Hey, you've always bailed me out in the past and I know that you exist and I know you're there and I need you. Um, and I felt this kind of this wave of grace sweep over me where I've never felt so loved in like just just one of those few and far between moments I've had in my life where I've really experienced like God's love and like, Hey, he, his presence is with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then God spoke something to my heart. You know, I didn't hear it audibly or in my ears, but I really heard it internally or I really heard God say, Hey, you have two options. You can stay on the floor in this place of brokenness and bitterness and depression. Um, or you can get up and you can come follow me and you can see what I have for you. And I remember I just, I broke down and just lost it. So when you got up off the floor, what did you do? So I'd been going to Flatirons um, at that time. And, um, and I loved Flatirons. I remember the first time I showed up and saw the tattoo wall and I was like, this is sweet. And you know, Jim gets up there and here's this jacked bald guy with tattoos. And I'm like, my school taught me tattoos are evil. And this, but I love, I always liked them. This is cool. Um, called a couple of my buddies, um, who are still, I'm really, really close friends with one of them was my roommate. You know, I called them and told them like, Hey, I don't know what's going on, but God really hit me and I got to figure out what he's wanting me to do. And, you know, I remember showing up to Flatirons and it was the rewired series. Okay. Yeah. And so here I was and I show up to Flatirons, right. And I'm like, okay, I like this church. I'll listen. Um, and man, Jim and Scott, the Holy Spirit speaks through them, but yeah. God was using them during that series to split my heart in half, pretty much telling me, hey, here is what it means to be uh, living and made in the masculine image of God and the feminine image of God. And here's what this looks like. And it was pretty much this dagger through my heart of like, here's everything I got wrong in this relationship. Um, here's everything I have wrong with my own identity. Um, here's everything I everything that I screwed up and, and how I was seeing the girl I was dating at the time. And it just like, it broke me in half. I remember being so in so much pain 
and in so much heartbreak that sometimes, which I realize now looking back that God was, you know, Romans eight twenty eight using all of this for good, where I'd go lock myself in my closet and I'd just pray. Hmm. And I'll never forget like feeling the pain that I felt and it was so real and tangible, but man, like God's presence was so real and so tangible. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I could just feel he had his eyes locked on me, that he was listening to me, that he was speaking to me. Um, and I literally would at times just, I'd wake up and my first 30 minutes would be spent in the shower, like crying cause I was in so much pain, but also just praying, mm. um, and literally just feeling God reach inside of me and just like grip my soul and be like, Hey, I got you. Like I told you to follow me. And then you got more involved in young adult ministry. Yeah. So I, as I continued going to flat irons and just showing up, um, with family or friends or whatever, um, I remember hating youth group growing up, thought it was so corny. That yeah. was so corny, you know, a bunch of kumbaya Christian kids sitting around. But uh, Jim stood on stage, and he kind of he kind of promoted merge, yeah, um, which is what it was called at the time. And I remember just feeling again, just this this tap on my shoulder from from God, and he was just like, "Hey, I want you to go to that." Yeah, and I remember going, and we did these things called breakout groups. And again, I'm like, "Oh, this is so corny in Christian school, and I don't want to do this." Uh, and went in this group, and I was expecting it to be again this little like kumbaya circle. Um, but I saw something different. I saw a bunch of uh, young adult men who were my age, early 20s, um, who were just talking about what was going on in life. And I remember the first time I really shared how I was feeling and the pain that I was going through. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, I was like sharing like this. I, I couldn't deny like God was doing something huge in my life and I could feel it and experience it. And I was seeing him move and experiencing him move and like in ways that I've never seen before in my entire life. And I shared all my crap. And instead of getting people, oh, you need to do this, or you need to go to this Bible verse, I got a bunch of people go, man, dude, thank you so much for sharing that. Like me too. I'm walking through something similar. So I started leading and getting volunteered, uh, volunteering with, uh, with Merge at the time and uh, really just like got plugged in. And without even realizing it, now I'm looking around me and I have like a community of godly men your path eventually leads to an internship yeah. and then that ended back in July, right? Yeah. And yeah. you got picked up and now you are part of the student ministry. Student ministers. men crew. That's right. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about, you said something earlier, hmm. and this is a key part to this whole millennial thing, identity hmm. and significance. Yeah. You struggled with identity. Hmm. Can, can you dig into that a little bit? Yeah. So... I've always had something inside of me that wanted to be noticed, that mm. wanted to, you know, be remembered as as like significant. And now, you know, going through Crucible and all these different things and having the language and tools to actually identify it, be able to talk about it, um, I realized that it was all really, you know, sports, um, girls, friends, whatever it was, um, was coming from a place of insecurity of like, ah, I just want somebody to see me as larger than life, or I want somebody to see me as strong or manly or enough. And so I realized just looking back over my life and really reflecting on who I was in high school, middle school, all these different things of growing up and, and, you know, being in, you know, a family that we, you know, my dad pushed us to be really good students or really good athletes. It was always just this feeling of, man, I want to be enough. Like, I hope that I'm enough. Where did that insecurity come from? Initially... There, there are certain things that, you know, I've, I've discovered through the crucible um, and, and, and different areas of just walking through this past year of my life that have really brought those to light. And I, and I won't share exact details um, right. of what I've discovered, um, not because I want to, 
withhold truth from what's happening or withhold the truth of what's happening, but um, there's just a right time to share sure. publicly. Yeah. Um, and that's just not, it's just not that time for me. I, I think, you know, growing up, um, there, there's a certain time in my life, um, around middle school, throughout parts of high school where, um, some different things happened to me, um, that really sucked a piece of my masculinity mm. out, um, that really hurt me. Um, uh, I think now that I realize as a man of, Hey, we've been made in the image of God. We've been made with this strong, um, you know, God has crafted us with this masculinity that, that bears a certain part of his image. And some stuff happened to me um, that really, really scarred that. And again, growing up, being that middle child, kind of always looking for that attention, kind of right. always looking for that worth. When that happened, it was like, oh, man, like I need to do everything I can to protect what has happened to me, uh, protect how I'm feeling in here so that nobody ever thinks that I'm weak, so right. that nobody ever tells me that I'm not enough. I will take care of myself now. I am my protector. I'm my own warrior and I'm going to do whatever I can and exploit whoever I can to go get what was taken from me. And the crucible helped you work through that. It was shell shock, you know, and I was like, I thought my life was supposed to like change up there. I thought I was going to like, you know, go up and, and, and like wrestle a bear or something. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, like Jesus was going to show up and be like, boom, here's your brand new heart. And But, um, you know, so, when, when, so after the initial weekend, you just came back on. Uh, what, yeah. was, what was the big deal? I mean, I remember having some really powerful moments, some moments I'll never forget. Sure. Um, and learning some things about myself. I'm like, man, that was really good and really powerful. And obviously being with other men and some men that I knew and just watching them, you know, go through it too and do their work was like, this was just cool. And as the year went on, little did I know, because I did that day two of my internship. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of this filter I had to look through my entire internship. Um, and, uh, you know, as I go throughout my internship, I started realizing that, um, hey, that was the that was the start of something, and not necessarily the finish, um, which I think a lot of you know men who've been through Crucible would go, oh yeah, I know what that's like. One of the key phrases, I'm not giving anything away, is yeah, what the journey, the journey continues. continues. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I, yeah. I should say that, but <laughs> I think for so long I had hidden and protected who yeah. I was and tried to you know portray this image and, and project this this picture of who I was that it was raw, and I just remember going throughout the year and just hearing more about, hey, like, if you really want to get what God has for you in this internship, like, forget about job, forget about all that. Like, the most important thing is what God wants to do in your heart this year. So, like, will you lean in to your crap? And so started, you know, looking back through my crucible, and there was a certain um, exercise we did on the weekend where I acknowledged, you know, what I, what I kind of vaguely hinted at, these moments that really affected me and my self-worth and how I viewed and experienced my own masculinity and the crucible was the first time that I acknowledged to myself, hey, I didn't like that. And right. that did something to me. And so I brought it up to some trusted men around here, you know, you being one of them, Dan, and just kind of said, hey, I, I, I don't, I feel numb to this. And I, I think that this is maybe a problem that I'm numb to it because after hearing other men's stories and, and realizing like actually what happened and acknowledging this, like, is there something else there? And I remember telling people, you know, explicit details of what happened and they're just going, you know, Oh, like, yeah, dude, that's not good. Like you need to look into that. And the more and more I just started praying, okay, God, if something's there, like soften my heart, soften my heart. Um, until one day we were doing a check-in as a team and I started talking about it and just broke and lost it. Mm. And that was so powerful for me to allow myself to, to mourn and Mm -hmm. to grieve. Eventually ended up, you know, going to counseling for a while 
which was really good. So as you look at this, kind of wrap up here, mm-hmm. after all this stuff that we've talked about, what are you looking forward to? What are you expecting in in your mm-hmm. future? And what are you hoping and praying for? Talking in terms of marriage or just in general? In general. What oh, does, man. what do you, what, when you think of you, Christian Cambier, what, what do you, what are you hoping for? What are you praying for? Sure. What are you so, looking forward to? Definitely. I mean, marriage is one of those things um, that, I mean, I'm so excited for. Um, something, you know, I, I try to every day um, pray for my future wife. The, the, as I've been through Crucible and been around this place, the the most encouraging thing that I think I've seen is is a bunch of men who are married and seeing all these men pull me aside and go, hey, if I could do this before I was married, mm, hey, if I could yeah. do this before I was a father, like, hey, man, like, I'm pumped you're up here. And that really excites me yeah. because I'm sitting here going, okay, I still know how broken I am. And I know the long journey that I still have to walk through. But I'm already starting to see these little changes, but these really profound changes in my life and in my heart where I'm going, man, this is going to make me a better husband. It's going to make me a better father. Um, And I'm also getting to learn so much. I don't care how old you are. That never changes. We all need to keep learning. We all need to keep growing and moving forward, adapting. And if we don't, stagnation, irrelevance, dismissal, and eventually, forgotten. Jesus calls us to be the light of the world. And he never said that our light should diminish with age. I mean, light is energy created and brought into existence from the very mouth of God. Lights, illuminating a path. And that's what's happening in Christian's life. He's learning from some other men. Some of them are older men. And I need to remember that. I need to remember that a bunch of the millennials are longing for and leaning into the wisdom of the generations that came before them. And I need to remember to quit bitching and reach out and invest into these millennials. Like Christian said, they can learn from our mistakes and our successes. The Privilege of Youth. Alexander Dumas wrote this in the Count of Monte Cristo. It is the privilege of youth to believe and hope. But old men see death more clearly. Solomon basically wrote the same thing in Proverbs 20, 29. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. The church, it's only as strong and healthy as the next generation. And that next generation is hungry for guidance and encouragement. I hope you join us next week for the next installment of our series, Millennial Man. My friend Brandon Luther swings by in cell block D to discuss his life, relationships, and what it means to be a millennial in this age. So my dad, when he was growing up, was a was an athlete, and he was in a smaller town, and uh, he was really great at basketball, and mm-hmm. he just is a pretty athletic person. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get that gene for whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, but I remember I didn't have that athletic bone in my body. And although I tried, it never came naturally. And I always felt like, to a certain degree, that was a disappointment. See you next week. This is Dan Foote, and this is Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men. <laughs>